It was a warm night, Harry said to himself as he pulled up his socks sexily. But... What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast that's about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, the Seattle to not having a team, Eric Silver. Eric, how's it going? Every time. Every time I get the <laughs> negative one in this parrot. Every single time. I should flip it. I, should, I need to make sure I'm giving you positive stuff. It's not a testament to who you are as a person. It's just me playing word association with myself. <laughs> Mike Schubert comes first, and Eric Silver comes next. I mean, we're just going by alphabetic order of last name, so (laughs) it's only fair. (laughs) We have a whole bunch of fun stuff to discuss. We are in Seattle live while we record this, which is very fun. Fresh off of the live show from Multitude, where me, you, and Jeffrey Craner put our heads together and created a new NBA franchise for the city of Seattle. We came up with the Seattle Spectres. It was very fun. I'm very proud of our team. Oh, yeah. There were some... Hilarious, amazing jokes that we threw together, and I am so happy about it. Also, you can hear me drinking Starbucks coffee right now. Ooh, very on brand. Mmm, Starbucks, thank you. And I have shaved my head to match Jeff Bezos, so I'm also Seattle. (laughs) You're now inexplicably bald, and you hate unions. I'm also in the middle of a divorce? Oh, what? (laughs) So, let's go on. There's some fun stuff going in the NBA, but before we discuss it, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. So, why don't we get ready for this by changing into some new clothes, putting on our new shoes, strapping on our headbands and sweatbands in the locker room. Zerp, zop, zerp, zerp, zerp. Well, my my zippers are very loud. I don't know. I need to get some oil on them. They're just like big chunky zippers. You know those oversized zippers? You've seen my like big puffy teal jacket from my dad from the 80s. Oh, yeah. It does have big chunky zippers and they do make deep zip noises. Uh, We'll have to record them next time. (laughs) Next time we do an episode, we'll do an ASMR of my dad's zippers. If you record it, I'll use it as a sound in the locker room. I love it. Okay, we have to do it. This will be very fun. Well, speaking of Patreon, you know, we have so many new patrons. We actually have a lot this episode. Oh, cool. Welcome to Andrea Kroc, Emily Posick, Jason Welch, Kendra Hadley, Sarah, Kelly Quinn, and we have two new producer-level patrons. Oh, my goodness. What up to Gladiator Vader and Adam Hartwick? You guys are joining the rest of the producers, Teal, Jordan Castleman, Misha Stanton, Brianne Wingate, Burger and Skylar Jorgensen. And all of you pick the right Gatorade flavor every single time. What is your favorite Gatorade flavor? I actually don't like Gatorade, but I feel like lemon lime is like the key. Lemon lime is very good. I'm very partial to the G2 flavors because it's not as salty and aggressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also really like the fierce ones like fierce melon and fierce grape are very good. I feel like anything that you can call like a color, like get me blue Gatorade or get me red Gatorade. Cool blue, which is literally a flavor. I think red is definitely the the best, though. Mm -hmm. Like from everyone that I've been around, I think red is by far the best. And it looks the best when you pour it on your coach. Because then it looks like blood. (laughs) Yay. Before we get into the full court press, you mentioned the producers in the live show. We got to meet Teal, which was wonderful. A lovely human being. And we'll see Misha tomorrow, which is very good. If you are a producer-level patron, please come and say hi because we love talking to you. And if you're not a producer-level patron, come and say hi because we love talking to you. Oh, good. I'm glad you didn't end that with, fuck you. (laughs) 
everyone else who listens, only the people who pay us $15 an episode are allowed to talk to me. It's in my rider. Hey, Eric, do we have a sponsor? We do. And I am so happy that we have this sponsor. Our sponsor this episode is Tab for a Cause. Tab for a Cause is so great. Tab for a Cause is so simple. All you do is you download their Chrome extension and they raise money for charity from you opening up tabs. Like, Which that's is it. Amazing. It is the easiest, laziest, most simple way to raise money. All you have to do is go to tabforacause.org slash horse and add the Chrome extension. I'm not exaggerating. When I set this up, it took me about seven seconds. It's very simple. And then anytime you open a new tab, you get this nice serene picture that changes every day. So it's all different landscapes and nice calming photos. And basically, you get a heart for every new tab that you open, and then you can pick which charity those hearts go to. You are able to donate money to charity by doing something you already are going to do a lot on the internet. I'm so glad they're sponsoring us. Let's be real here. Everyone likes the idea of raising money for charity, Mm -hmm. but there's always this barrier of entry to actually doing it. Like, oh, I got to go to their Facebook page, and then I got to, like, enter in my credit card information. Mm -hmm. Or then someone's going to accost me on the street and tell me if I really care about the trees. And I do, but I don't want to stop because I got things to do. And all you have to do is use the internet, which I know you're using right now, (laughs) Kevin. (laughs) All you have to do is go to tabforacause.org slash horse, add that Chrome extension, and start donating very simply today start being lazy right now but the good lazy hey eric this next segment is called full court press you know get it like the news being on pacific coast time i think i actually got it that's a very good joke thank you mike oh wonderful so kyrie irving has been in an interesting situation with the boston celtics in that he is no (laughs) oh no this groan i hate it I hate it so much. In the beginning of this season, I'm like, great, the Celtics are going to win every single game. It's going to be perfect. We're going to win it all. Thank you. Everyone's amazing. I love it. You're all good friends. Now it's like nothing good has happened. It's this weird thing where they did very well last year and two of their best players were hurt either for the entire year in the case of Gordon Hayward or a solid portion of the year in the case of Kyrie Irving. So the natural thought is, oh, if they take this team and their two best players are healthy and play more, they'll be great, right? Actually, no. (laughs) Who would have thought that adding more star players would be bad? Yeah, so it's this weird situation going on where someone needs to be the alpha dog. It's not like a let everyone eat situation. And Kyrie Irving is trying to take charge, but not necessarily in the best way. This came to light recently in a game against the Orlando Magic, who are decent at basketball. Let's be honest. They're not great at basketball. (laughs) They're like still in the playoff hunt in the East. They're not as bad as my Knicks. They're not that bad. This might be the first time in the podcast you've admitted that the Knicks are bad. Oh, the Knicks are very bad, but it's intentional bad, so it's okay. Let's tell that to Tim Hardaway Jr. I don't think he knows. I think he's aware. He's actually given some really candid interviews about knowing the situation that he's in, which I appreciate. No, let's talk more about my team and how they're bad. The Celtics. Exactly. So there was a last second play that the Celtics were trying to run, and it's one that they've run before and has been successful. But instead of doing the part of the play that Kyrie Irving wanted to happen, where Kyrie gets to take the last shot, Gordon Hayward passed to Jason Tatum for a decent look, but he ended up missing it. And they ended up losing the game. And immediately after, Kyrie runs up to Gordon Hayward and gets all up in his grill, yelling, flailing his arms, very visibly showing that he was disappointed in Gordon's decision making and looked very, very upset. 
After the game, he had some quotes, and the summary of them was that these young kids don't necessarily know how to lead, and they haven't been here before, etc., etc., which doesn't make sense on a twofold account, one of which is that Kyrie Irving is... 26 or 25 yeah, 26. yeah Kyrie Irving is 26 years old so I wouldn't say that he is allowed to be like oh these young kids but the other thing is that the Celtics without Kyrie Irving last year were one game away from making it to the finals like Kyrie yes has been to the finals a couple times he's won a finals he's taken the most important shot rate but LeBron was definitely leading the pack there I want to say something critical of uh, Jason Tatum and I will cash in a college story at the end of this oh okay go for it <laughs> okay Jason Tatum needs to understand that he's still learning. He is 22. The way that the age gap works in the NBA is like someone at 26 is really is a veteran and knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like at summer camp when like the 16-year-olds are like very much knows what's going on. Uh-huh. I just like don't think that he can lead right now and he needs to recognize that. Okay, true. Now please give me an embarrassing college story. <laughs> when Obama got reelected, my roommates and I, instead of watching the coverage, decided to beat all of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. <laughs> and my friend Nadia posted on Facebook <laughs> as soon as the election results came in at like midnight that night. She said, we did it, America. We beat Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. It was very fun. Speaking of very good, what ended up happening afterwards, Kyrie Irving called LeBron James saying that he finally understood what LeBron meant all of these years about leadership and Kyrie Irving being that young kid that didn't understand and LeBron having to take him under his wing, which is a good mature thing for Kyrie Irving to say. But this is silly and twofold. The first is that he's kind of comparing himself to LeBron. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know. You don't know if that's what he's doing or you don't know about that decision. Comparing himself to LeBron, I don't think that's... Yeah, at this point, LeBron at 33, he's like a sage in the NBA, and he's a father. He knows how to use his power as like the superior person and not make the person who has to listen to him make him feel bad. And Kyrie is just like 26 and has a beard. Like, that's it. (laughs) He also thinks the earth is flat, which is very fun. (laughs) That's true. If you're a flat earther, you lose like all of your authority. But Kyrie called LeBron and apologized, saying that sometimes getting the most out of your group is not the easiest thing, and he understands the pressure in the situation that LeBron was put into. But let's talk about the funny part. My favorite thing I saw on Reddit, the headline was, Kyrie called LeBron to apologize, et cetera, et cetera. And then the top comment was, quote, oh, that's what Kyrie's voicemail was about? Dash LeBron. (laughs) Which... (laughs) I thought it was very good. But what turned out to be true the next day is that that's what happened. LeBron did not pick up Kyrie's call initially because he was getting dinner with ex-teammate Kevin Love. He was at a nice Italian restaurant and he saw the missed call and was surprised, showed it to Kevin Love, who was also surprised, then stepped out of the restaurant and called Kyrie back. I love everything about this is amazing. First of all, when the ball hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That's that's LeBron James. That's LeBron James and Kevin Love. (laughs) That's Kevin Love. He's literally Kevin Love. (laughs) I have to imagine it was candlelit and beautiful. For me, there are two directions this could have gone. One, really nice Italian restaurant like you're describing, candlelit. There's someone playing an acoustic guitar in the corner. There is delicious house wine that doesn't have any sort of gimmicky brand name to it. Everything's amazing. Other flip side, they're at Olive Garden. (laughs) (laughs) Just unlimited breadsticks rolling in. Bottomless soup bowls. (laughs) Throw me an outlet pass of those breadsticks. They're here. They're family. Everything's great. I like Olive Garden more. You're right. You got me. (laughs) 
It can still be candlelit and beautiful, but it's definitely an Olive Garden. <laughs> it's just a classy Olive Garden. That's a fun little Kyrie thing. Before we move on to our next story, is that do you have any other comments since this is your favorite team who are the Celtics who are struggling? <laughs> Uh, oh, thank you. First of all, I think LeBron did the smart move, which is look at the phone, not pick it up, and then show it to your friend who you're at dinner with. <laughs> that is absolutely the equivalent of an ex calling you, and you're like, nothing good comes from this. <laughs> like, even if they have good intentions on the other line, you get the phone call, and you're like, oh, no, I am not talking to Cassandra right now. <laughs> no. uh, as for the Celtics itself, oh, Beans, man, this this season is not going the way I hoped. I mean, they're still going to get a high spot in the playoffs, but, like, something is going to blow up. Like, I just keep waiting for something even more dramatic to happen. This is just the chaos theory. Like, you have too many players who want to be good. Like, someone's going to get traded off in a blockbuster deal, or there's literally going to be a fistfight in the locker room. Like, that's the only two options. And then they're going to get to, like, the Eastern Conference playoffs and lose to the Bucks. I also see equally as likely as that happening. I think a baseball thing could happen. This happens in baseball a lot. Since the season is so long, it doesn't really matter who's the best. It just matters who's the best in the last month of the season. Mm -hmm. And I can see that happening with the Celtics, where just in the last 15 games, they win all 15 and then just head into the playoffs with a ton of momentum. I think that also has a chance of happening. I mean, I hope so. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm not going to say I don't think that's going to happen, but you know. Yeah, well, we'll just have to see. And I can't think of a more positive note on which to end Full Court Press. One, two, three, three, two, one, three on three. Sub nerds, it's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast where I talk about my three on three. And now here's my co-host, who is taller than me, and I am shorter than him, Michael Schubert. Michael, how's it going? It's good now. One of the many differences between us is that you are taller than I am. Who would be more likely to uh, dunk the basketball? Me. Well, now, why would you say that? Because I am taller than you and I can jump higher than you. Well, here's the thing. Just because you're taller than me doesn't mean you're more likely to dunk the ball. Right, but I can also jump higher than you. Unrelated to that, but like, let's say that we're living in a world where no one knew that fact. Right, statistically, I'm very so excited here's for my, your three, and my three on, on three. Spud Web. Am I three on three? Are short guys who dunk the basketball? Oh, I love it. So that's one side. Oh, we'll get to the other side first. But it is intensely more exciting when someone who is shorter than you might expect can dunk a basketball. Mm-hmm. You can get so far off the ground that is levitation, Holmes. So, Mike, I want to give you a quick rundown. On short men who do good dunks. I'm really excited for the Nate Robinson section. What are you? T- that's not it. What are you talking about? <laughs> for all these guys, there's usually like a specific dunk that they're known for, mm-hmm. and they always have a taller person in which they have dunked on top of. This is very true. Uh, my number three, I couldn't pick between these two guys because both of them dunked on the Rain Man, Sean Kemp. Ooh. <laughs> now, Mike, tell me about uh, Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp is a large human. He is a Seattle Supersonics legend, and most famously, and we will put this clip on the episode description of horsehoop.com, he did an incredible dunk afterwards. He yammed it on top of a dude who, I forget this guy's name because he was murdered on the spot. Because he got turned into yams. Mm-hmm. He got turned into yams, and Sean Kemp did an amazing dunk over him and then pointed at him with both fingers in like a finger gun motion and went like, blah, 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 <laughs> and then ran back down court, which in today's game would be a technical foul of the highest degree but back then in the uh you know late 80s early 90s they were like oh whatever that sounds fun (laughs) keep doing that when you do finger guns it's very fun and very casual i feel like when sean camp does it he's like shoots guns into you severely because he wants you to die yeah i very intimidating no 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 it's less fun less fun when it's coming from sean kemp the rain man the rain rain spelled r-e-i-g-n very good nickname you see 
the word rain. <laughs> if you spell it two different ways. And in Seattle. And it means two different things. <laughs> So these two boys decided to dunk on them, and they were relatively short. First one is good old Celtics favorite, D. Brown. D. Brown, Ah. six foot one Celtics rookie point guard. He decided to enter the dunk contest against the one, the only, Sean the Rain Man Kemp, and he beat him. Mm -hmm. This is when D. Brown was most famously known for his Reebok pumps. Do you remember these? Oh, of course. So the little squishy basketballs Mm -hmm. that definitely scientists proofs would make you jump higher. Which scientist? Uh, Dr. uh, Larry Bird (laughs) and Dr. J. Dr. Gerald. (laughs) Dr. J. Gerald, you know, famous basketball Mm -hmm. uh, doctor. And they did scientists and they're like, wow, science. Thanks, Reebok. (laughs) So Reebok sponsored D. Brown and they gave him a pair of these pumps. And every time he dunked, like in all four of the rounds of the slam dunk contest, he always leaned down to pump his shoes. Huge deal. Yeah. D. Brown yammed all over Sean Kemp when he beat him in the slam dunk contest because that's when he did the no-see dunk. So he leaned down, he pumped up his shoes, he jumped up and then put his eyes in the crook of his arm and was not looking while he slammed the ball down. Although not that impressive, I would say, but it probably looked super cool at the time. Have you ever dunked on a, a no. rim that's like short, that's like shortened? Yeah, like for small children, I would just come down. Okay, but you've never like had one of those adjustable height rims and put it at like eight feet. Oh no, or something. yes. I have totally done that. Yeah. So yeah, we I've were done all that. eleven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's even hard to dunk when you were like looking at the rim the whole time. Yeah. So it's tricky. I guess for professionals where they do it so much, it's more muscle memory is for me, it's not as common. But You're, like are it's you still saying, challenging? Wait, are you saying that you don't dunk on a regular basis? No, I don't, unfortunately. <laughs> it's part of my new routine for twenty nineteen. I mm-hmm. get up, I stretch, I drink a glass of water, and I just yam the ball down. It's very good. I just throw it down. That's a good way to start off the morning. Thank you. The other guy who dunked all over Sean Kemp was Robert Pack. He dunked on Sean Bradley. Everyone dunked on Sean mm-hmm. Bradley. Dunked on Sean Kemp, and he dunked on Patrick Ewing along with Bo Outlaw, who is my mm. favorite player for a very long time because he was the first guy I ever saw who had rec specs. Mm. And it's like, well, I, there are a lot of like 10-year-olds who have rec specs in my rec league, but you're not going to mess with a very, <laughs> very large NBA player who looks like Steven Glansberg. How tall was this guy? Robert Pack was six foot two. Oh, so uh, on the tall side of short, but still he slammed it home. The reason why I had to include him was when I was doing research, I found a video of just a bunch of highlights of him slamming it home. And his name, Robert Pack, he's the Pac-Man. So someone edited in a lot of very good Pac-Man sounds while he was doing it. We'll put this on the website, it's, of course. It's extremely good. So waka, 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 Robert Pack, number three. For any reference for someone who doesn't know, usually you have to be like 6'3 to dunk the ball in an NBA game. Like Steph Curry can dunk, but like barely. And right. he's 6'3. You have to get high enough that no one is going to block it away. When you are 6'3, you're not really above the rim for a very long amount of time. So you don't really get the flexibility, whereas if you're six, seven or above, you're going to be throwing it down with some force. So in that case, it's usually more advantageous to dunk because it's harder to block. Especially when you have the angle on someone who's like seven feet tall. Exactly. So you'll be able to do it. So the fact that these guys can dunk, pretty amazing. All right, Mike, number two. Mm -hmm. This one's for you. You're wearing your Knicks socks, and I I appreciate that. Number two, very small person, Nate Robinson. Stoked about it. I love Nate. You know the best thing about Nate Robinson is that he won the slam dunk contest three different times, but not in a three-peat? No, he did not. Like, he won it in 2006, Mm -hmm. and then he's like, I'm going to go take a nap. 
for like two years because I totally sleep through the entire season. My name is Ravang Winkle, also Nate Robinson. And then he won it in 2009 and 2010 in a row. He's the most notable dunk. So this is the, the extremely tall person that he was against. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwight Howard. Mm-hmm. Dwight Howard, remember, he's six foot 11 and his arms go all the way into Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But he's a corny motherfucker and he likes to think that he's Superman. He does. What? I don't understand the obsession with Superman. He has this weird infatuation with trying to be Shaquille O'Neal and it's not very good because Shaquille O'Neal used to call himself Superman. As we know, he started in steel, so it makes more sense. Because uh, <laughs> he was a superhero for he time. He was, you know, professionally. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't get the whole like Superman thing. Because also, like, Superman's the worst superhero. Like, yes. last place superhero. Yeah. Oh, I have every power. Tight. Like, go fuck home. Superman. And yeah. also, he keeps dying. And the, oh, no, dirt from my home planet kills me. What a loser. <laughs> I hate Superman. He's so bad. I remember watching a cartoon when I was younger, okay. and it was Superman cartoon. And the only reason I was watching it is because it was on after Spider Man, which I watch religiously. Right. Because you are Spider Man. Right. So Superman is flying. And while he is flying, he uses supersonic hearing to hear a bad guy mission that's going on. He then flies up to the building and uses supersonic vision to see through the brick wall where they're having the meeting. Then he breaks through the wall with the super strength. And then as they all shoot guns at him, it deflects off of his bulletproof body. And then he defeats them all using laser beam eyes and uh, frost breath. So in like a five minute span, he used seven superpowers. And I was like, I'm out on Superman. And from that day forward... Fuck Superman. It's just boring. It's so boring. You have every power and oh no, a rock kills me. He really is nothing. He's the equivalent of in The Sims when you put Rosebud into the code. Oh baby. And like, yeah, you get like seven toilets and that's cool, but that isn't really a game. Yeah, it's when you make a creative player in a sports video game and you just make him 99 everything. Like, this is not fun. There's no challenge. At least in the creative player, you can give him a good name like Poop McGee. That's very true. And give him a pink afro. Superman's outfit, garbage sauce. What if Superman had a pink afro? Would you that make you like him more? No. What if his name was Poop McGee? Yes. What if it was McGee in parentheses, Superman? Don't like it. I'm not digging it. I don't like where it's headed. <laughs> you don't like any of that. Nah. Well, that's pretty much Dwight Howard. Yeah. <laughs> Dwight, poop, in parentheses, Superman, close parentheses, McGee, Howard. Anyway, the point is, this was in the height of Dwight Howard's Superman-ness. So in the 2010 slam dunk contest, Nate Robinson went into the locker room after his first dunk, and he turned into all green, and then he was Kryptonate. So good. Which is a good turn of phrase. It's great because the Knicks already had green jerseys that they would wear for St. Patrick's Day, which I was never a fan of because they look gross because they're green and orange, so they look like pumpkins uh <laughs> I hate pumpkins. it's like well it's like a pumpkin color scheme not a great look but for the purposes of this it was a very good bit yeah and he jumped over dwight howard to slam the ball down mm-hmm. extremely good another thing that i love about nate robinson he's very good friends with glenn davis mm-hmm. and together their nickname big baby little baby no their nickname was shrek and donkey mm-hmm. do you remember this I don't remember them having that nickname. So both of them were playing for the Celtics at the Mm -hmm. time. This was when the Celtics got to the finals in 2009. Combined, they put together a 13-2 fourth quarter run. And then when uh, Glenn Davis won it all at the end, Nate Robinson literally jumped over him like he was a cartoon donkey from the wonderful franchise of Shrek. And now together they asked to be called Shrek and Donkey. And that lasted for three days before they lost the NBA Finals. Yep, not great. <laughs> eh, it was not great. But now, Mike, this is the time where we both get to do our uh, Shrek impressions. Because I know what you've been waiting to do. <sighs> 
Donk it. There we go. We did it. <laughs> wow, Mike, what a good impression. Yeah, I feel great about it. It, it was, was definitely good. me. But listen, can we get another take? Because I didn't hear it. Yeah. I didn't yeah. hear it the first time. Onion. <laughs> Donk it. Oh, that was really good, Mike. Good job. <laughs> Nate Robinson is 5'9. Five 5'9. Nine. Five nine. Eh, quotation marks. He's probably 5'6. Yeah. All these things <laughs> are definitely inflated. I was going to put Allen Iverson on here, but everyone said that he was six feet. He's not. But he's definitely not six feet. He's like 5'9 at most. I think he's like 5'10 on a good day. You asked me the other day what my height was for a tweet you were going to do, and I'm like, I'm like 5'9 on a good day. Mm-hmm. Everyone does that, even in the NBA. So that made me feel very well, good. Well, in the NBA, they actually measure you with your shoes on for your official listed height. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So everyone gets like listed as two inches taller than they actually are. Like Chris Stapps Porzingis, for example, is seven foot three <laughs> listed, but as a, like a real height human, he's only seven foot one. First of all, glad that you fulfilled your contract with the devil mm-hmm. to, uh, and you said Chris Stapps during this episode. Last episode you didn't. I was worried about. I know that's why I got it in. There I found good. a way. No, I was finding a way. Uh, <laughs> the number one short, best short guy who dunks. That is the one, the only. That is Spud Webb. Pew pew pew. Fun fact, Spud Webb, Spider-Man. That's well, how he, he could dunk so good. He got bit by a radioactive basketball. Right. <laughs> he got bit by a radioactive Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> Spud Webb they was were, the, were they teammates? They were. They were so, teammates. So Spud Webb was known for winning the 1986 dunk contest against Dominique Wilkins. His most famous dunk was the self-alley-oop dunk. He threw it up in the air. It bounced high. And then he grabbed it in one hand. But notably, he can't palm the ball because he has small hands for mm-hmm. a regular human. He put it in his other hand in the air and slammed it home. He got a perfect 10 and beat Dominique Wilkins. How tall is Spud Webb? Was he like 5'6"? Oh, God, why am I not? I thought... Hey, Siri. How tall is Spud Webb? Is five feet seven inches tall. So he's 5'6". Yeah. <laughs> Siri is our third co-host. Thank you for showing. <laughs> yeah. So 5'7". I mean, he's my height. It's me, Fife Dog, and Spud Webb are all the same height. I'm pretty sure Fife Dog is only like 5'4". No, he was shorter, but I wanted to be associated with oh, these three men. Okay. I was like, that's a stretch. <laughs> Listen, the holy trinity of short people who are amazing is Fife Dog, Spud Webb, and Eric Silver. You're going to make a lot of people mad by calling yourself a short person at five nine on a good day. Uh, I think it's different for dudes. I think that like anyone under the height of like five ten is just like considered short. Right, but that's incorrect because average is like five eight and a half. Just let me associate myself with five dog, please, <laughs> please, Michael. <laughs> the funny thing that I learned about that dunk contest in nineteen ninety six, Spud Webb was twenty two and mm. he got twelve thousand five hundred dollars for winning. That's and, it. Woof. And it was a little less than a fifth of his $70,000 salary. What? Dominique Wilkins took home $7,500 for coming in second, but he was making $585,000. Well, the problem is that Spud Webb, yes, great, he could dunk and stuff. He wasn't that great. He wasn't. He wasn't like Muggsy Bogues, who was short but very good. Oh, he's so good. That's why he made it. That's why he was in Space Jam. Because mm-hmm. he was, he was like legitimately very good at basketball. Spud Webb, no one knows. Like, I don't think he did anything of note except for the dunk contest stuff. That's what I love about the NBA and why we have this podcast is that like people live on because it's an entertainment product. Oh, yeah. And we remember them. Now, Mike. I wasn't sure what was going to be the other side of the coin for these great short boys who can dunk. But I thought about it for a little bit. And the only thing that is more exciting than a short man who is rising up to dunk the ball home 
is an extremely large man who doesn't have to jump at all to dunk the ball. Okay, so like Boban Marjanovic. Then number three <laughs> is Boban. What I, I've noticed and like what you might think is that the taller you are, the better you are at basketball. Mm-hmm. You're just closer to the rim. You are a physical marvel. You'll be able to do things that other people can't. A lot of guys who are super tall are not good at basketball, especially the tallest people. Uh, other than like, Manu Bol and Yao Ming, you're not viable to play a physical sport as your job. Yeah, George like Marison were... wasn't very good. <laughs> Who? George Marison? He was the tallest person ever playing the NBA. He was seven foot six inches tall. I remember in my basketball crazy wacky fun facts book from childhood, which I've referenced once that I couldn't find on the internet after doing a very deep dive of Google. There was a, a page in the book that just had like a picture of his hand and it took up two pages. How is it that your children's book has done all of my research for me? The children's book is called, like, Fun Basketball Stuff. It's Horse the Podcast in a Book. (laughs) But for children. Yeah. He's Romanian. So when you said his name, I, like, did not. I listened to the Wikipedia pronunciation of his name, like, 17 times. Oh, George Marison? It's like, George Marison. Yeah, George Marison. In the 90s, they just, like, Americanized everybody's name. They didn't give a damn. I wish that they all just had Harry Potter-ass names so their names would rhyme or have the same first letter as everything. Or their last name would be what they do. He would Uh, be Timmy Tallman. Michael Dunks-a-Lot. Mm-hmm. He's probably a wizard. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He was a wizard, but he's also... uh, uh, an animangus an and he, he turns into a bull there he is you, you see what i did there. i see what you did i combined your two passions i'm proud of you thank you all right number three is boban boban currently plays for the clippers and most recently he dunked the ball without jumping off are you leaving the earth because he's seven foot three he is so tall all these guys look like what i imagine giants to be in my head or like how raw doll drew the bfg oh very much so. they all look like him not all. I would say Kristaps still looks like a normalish person. He's not, but he's not huge. He's like as tall, but he's not as like hulking. Like Boban Marjanovic weighs the most out of anyone in the NBA. He looks like he is just a giant. I think that's why it endears him to everybody. He's like a meme. Yes, for he himself. doesn't look like a human. Him and Hagrid should just mm-hmm. like roll up. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, him, Hagrid, and Andre the Giant should just like chill. Mm-hmm. And welcome to Eric's fanfic corner where I'm going to read you the fanfic. The three half-giants. It was a warm night, Harry said to himself, as he pulled up his socks sexily. What? (laughs) It's a Harry Potter fanfic, Mike. Uh, Come on, catch up. Number two. I'm going to pronounce it correctly. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. It's George Marisgan. Ah, George Marison. No, that's not how his name (laughs) is pronounced. It's George Marisgan. He was uh, listed as seven foot seven, who is tied for the tallest NBA player of all time with recognized tall man and hilarious person, Manu Ball. He's from Romania. He was drafted 30th overall in the 1993 NBA draft by the Washington Bullets after playing a bunch of seasons in Europe. So this is what I'm talking about. Being giant doesn't necessarily correlate to actually being good at basketball. During six seasons, he only averaged 9.8 points, 6.4 rebounds. When you're that tall, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. 1.5 assists and 1.48 blocks per game. That's not very good. When you're that much taller than everyone else, mm-hmm. you should have more than like accidentally hitting a ball out of the air. <laughs> yeah. He was just very unathletic. Just couldn't run, couldn't jump. Exactly. That's the problem. You still need to be able to run in basketball. Yeah. Which is why I'm so good, because I'm so good at running. You are good at running. Thank you. And we're going to let that sit so everyone knows it's true. (laughs) I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) 
In 2006, Morishkan appeared at 28th on the Romanian television's list of the 100 greatest Romanians of all time as the third highest ranked athlete or sportsman on the list. Wow, Romanians are bad at sports. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what it came down to. Like, I'm sorry, Romania. Like, think more of yourself. Or just do better. Michael Schubert, we are finally at the number one tallest person who can dunk without jumping. Do you know who this is? I mean, I, I would guess it has to be Manute Bowl. It is not Manute Bowl. I tricked you. Oh. It was a ruse. Mike, do you know who Paul Sturgis is? Oh, uh, yes. You know everything. I'm sorry. Can you let's do this again? Now you're gonna say no this time. Okay. Mike, do you know who Paul Sturgis is? No. Oh, well, let me tell you all about him. Please do. At, <laughs> this was gratifying for me. I appreciate <laughs> it. At seven foot eight, he would have been the tallest person to ever play in the NBA. But tiny Paul Sturgis did not actually make it to the National Basketball Association. Yep. He was drafted by the Harlem Globetrotters. Yep. Uh, and also, if you're talking about someone whose nickname is the opposite of who they are, mm-hmm. you do not mess with them. That's why my nickname is not cool. <laughs> Because it's the opposite. Mike Bumbling Schubert. <laughs> that's what you tell yourself. That's why they called you not cool. Mm-hmm. Like, no, oh, they were just giving me a nickname. It means the opposite thing. I live my life by the Run DMC line from Peter Piper. Not bad meaning bad, but bad meaning good. <laughs> and I live my life one quarter mile at a time. <laughs> nice. The most interesting thing about Paul Sturgis is that, you know, he's from England. Oi. Like, oh, my, this, 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 I've actually That's just why made he's this not whole good thing. at basketball. <laughs> I made this whole thing so that we could talk in accents the entire time. Oh. Uh, so I could be Scott. Oh, donkey. And I'm posted. Oh, fancy to me to bang us and mash while I dunk the ball. What's basketball? Hey, uh, governor, let me dang my, I'm tiny Paul Sturgis. During an interview with the New York Daily News, the world's tallest basketball player put it all in perspective. I'm not built for this world, but I've adapted to it, and I'm using my height for a great thing. It's a great icebreaker, meeting people. Hi, I'm British man Paul Sturgis. I'm very tall. Would you like to chat? I don't get... I I don't... (laughs) I don't know. It's not an icebreaker. (laughs) It's like, hey, you're tall. And he's like, yes. Yes, let's become friends now. Pip, pip, cheerio. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm really tall. I'm a donk. It's better than being a donkey. But yeah, Mike, short guys who can dunk real good and tall guys who don't have to leave the ground when they're doing a dunk. The yin and the yang. So, Eric, in the world in which this episode goes live, we will be on airplanes back from Seattle, Washington. That's true. And famously slash infamously, Seattle, Washington used to have a professional basketball team. Really? Mm -hmm, That was ripped out of their hands by the devils that are the Oklahoma City ownership group (laughs) and David Stern. This is something we've alluded to that is very well-known and common, but much like your description of the 100-point game, there are so many more details to know about. And Erica, this is the time that Seattle was robbed of their NBA franchise. That actually happened. That actually happened. I do want to start this off with a question, but I was always wondering... Why you would go from Seattle to Oklahoma City? Because Oklahoma City is a much smaller city, mm-hmm. smaller media group. I just don't know why they went from Seattle to Oklahoma City. Oh, you'll learn over the course of this that actually happened. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> so 
all of the research I did for this comes from a very well-made documentary that is for free on YouTube, two hours long, the director's cut edition of Sonic's Gate, which is really <laughs> well done. It won a Webby in 2010 for best online documentary. Oh, wow. Yeah. With the, Nomcat. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually like very well done. They got a lot of really important people involved in it. Gary Payton is interviewed, beat writers, all sorts of stuff. They got a lot of good people for it. It's a really well-made documentary. Cool. So the bad things all start on January 11th, 2001, when Howard Schultz leads a group of owners that purchase the Seattle Supersonics. This should be easy for you to guess. What company do you think Howard Schultz is the CEO from? And it is very Seattle. Starbucks. That is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was either Starbucks or Microsoft. And you gonna... know it's not Steve Ballmer slash Bill Gates. Exactly. I was like, <laughs> you, you didn't say Bill Gates. And Howard Schultz, much like some current NBA owners, such as Mark Cuban and Steve Ballmer, was very animated, sat courtside, really got into the games and stuff, which is good in theory, but not good when you sit courtside and when things aren't going well, you slump and pout and look really sad. Of course. He butted heads with a couple of the players, most notably with Gary Payton, a Seattle Supersonics legend who was the best and highest paid player on the team come 2001. How do owners know that they're not fans anymore? If I did anything for $500 million, I feel like I would know that this was a bigger deal than I can't just like show up in like sweatpants in places. The problem that these owners don't realize is that they are very successful in running other businesses. All of these people who own a team are not experts in sports. Like they didn't get rich from playing basketball and knowing a lot of things about the sport. Sure. It's this weird situation that doesn't exist in many other places where you are the most important person at something and then in charge of something. Oh, fuck. There's a really good one that happened in November of 2016. I was just going to so say So it that. doesn't happen often, but when it does, it sucks. Oops. Uh, Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so it all started boiling up. The team wasn't doing well. And ultimately... Things weren't working well because Howard Schultz treated this team like a business and you have to treat a sports franchise differently. Yeah, and he kept franchising uh, the Seattle Supersonics <laughs> on, every, on every single block. They were inside of grocery stores and Barnes and Nobles. And when you were out on the court, you had to call it a venti. <laughs> Yeah, the jerseys weren't small, medium, large anymore. <laughs> My it's jersey's crazy. a tall, a venti, or a Trenta. And they made the announcers say, for Trenta! <laughs> <laughs> so the other problem that ultimately led to the demise of the Sonics being in Seattle, in addition to Howard Schultz, was Key Arena, where they play. Key Arena was built in 1962. Damn. Yeah, so old. And most buildings, when they get old, they need to be renovated. The problem is that this pattern happened in Seattle twice within a short amount of time. The Seattle Mariners, garbage baseball program, got a new stadium in 1995 after a really successful playoff run where they took the city by storm. And the Seattle Seahawks got a new arena in 1997. So the city of Seattle already had a bunch of tax increases to try to make publicly funded stadiums, which we'll just say right off oh the God, bat is awful garbage, so awful. Rich people should pay for their rich buildings that they get to own and profit from. In 2005, they make a request for Key Arena to either be renovated or to find a new stadium, and it is shut down by the city government. In 2006, they make a remodeling request at the capital of Washington in Olympia with the help of David Stern, and it still does not get approved. Really? Yeah. So here's the problem. The bad guys of the story 
are all racists slash homophobes. Hey. Hey. Or so. swamp dragons. <laughs> this one not this one's not a part of the story. So Nick Lakata is the head of the Seattle City Council at the time. And he states when these proposals were coming up that he felt that the Seattle Sonics provided nothing of value to the city. And it was highly suspected that he made this comment because he's a big old racist and all of the people of color really enjoyed having a successful basketball team in their city. Fuck. Mm-hmm. D- that... Mm-hmm. G- yeah. And if you look at a picture of this dude, which we'll put one on the website, he just looks racist. Like, you look at a picture <laughs> and you're like, yep. It's just, like, not surprising. Oh, look at, at this Fox News-ass motherfucker. Like, yeah. You're, you just look at him and you're like, yes. You didn't have to guess it at all. <laughs> While this is going on in the mid-2000s, specifically in 2005-2006, you have the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina. And at the time, Louisiana has a basketball team, the New Orleans Hornets. The New Orleans Hornets are forced to relocate. And where do they go for refuge? Oklahoma City. Oh, that's right. So the Hornets played in Oklahoma City for about a season and a half. It was very nice and noble of the ownership group and the team and and the city of Oklahoma to do this on such short notice. It worked out really well. It was great. But we learned that there's malicious intent involved in all of this. Chung Chung. Mm -hmm. So Clay Bennett is the guy who helped David Stern facilitate this after Hurricane Katrina. Clay Bennett made his fortune by marrying a woman who had the fortune from the Oklahoma newspaper and then just investing that money and then that money making money. So he married rich and then made good investments, and then now he became a billionaire. Uh, okay. Thanks, Golden sure. Parachute. If that's fine, if you need a reason to hate Clay Bennett, he's a jerk and has given lots of money to anti-gay rights groups. Thank you. There, there we go. Well, now we all hate Clay Bennett. Yeah, listen, it's the American dream. You marry this broad. <laughs> she's like in newspapers or some shit. Then you do invest, and then you're like, gays, no thank you. <sighs> is that, Mike, is that not the American? I've been told that was the American dream. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he ends up purchasing the Sonics from Howard Schultz. But before he did this, he had many quotes stating his desire to have a professional basketball team in Oklahoma City. When New Orleans started to renovate their arena and there were rumors that they were going to go back, that they could finally play in New Orleans again, Clay Bennett had a quote that said, if the Hornets go back to New Orleans, I would hope we get a franchise. No promises have been made, but we've received a lot of congratulations. Oh, I hate Mm -hmm. that. Yes. From yourself. That could be from literally anyone. Mm-hmm. Be like, I did tell myself earlier today, congratulations for being <laughs> a very good rich man. So Howard Schultz was unhappy with running the team, unable to get a new arena or a renovation to the arena. So he gets frustrated and decides to sell it to this Oklahoma City-based ownership group. When he sells it to Clay Bennett and the ownership group, they tell him we're definitely going to try to keep the team in Seattle, even though we're all from Oklahoma City. It's like a four-person ownership group, all from Oklahoma City. They used to have the team in Oklahoma City, and they're like, no, 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 we're going to keep it in Seattle, we promise. He sold Howard Schultz on this 12-month plan to try to find a way to get a new facility, and Howard Schultz bought it, and he's a big, dumb person for doing so. Was the four-person ownership group Clay Bennett and three people from the 1800s who literally were Sooners. Can we confirm? I don't know. <laughs> that they the, were time travelers. The main 
person in the ownership group was a guy by the name of Aubrey McClendon, who never said anything racist, but sounds racist. All the names, <laughs> these two guys sound like the evil people from ski movies from the 1980s. Oh, just listen to all of the companies that they own, too. So it's Clay Bennett, who got his fortune from the Oklahoma newspaper, Aubrey McClendon of Oklahoma City-based Chesapeake Energy Corporation, Tom L. Ward of Oklahoma City-based Sand Ridge Energy Corporation, and G. Jeffrey Records Jr. of G- Oklahoma City-based Midfirst Bank. G-, G? G. Jeffrey Records Jr. I'm renaming, you know, the person who I made in NBA 2K Creative Flair <laughs> from earlier the episode? That's what we're renaming him. Poops McGee is Poops now McGee. G. Jeffrey Records Jr. <laughs> yes, because that, that I could not come up with such a good name. A Sandridge Energy also sounds like a company that's definitely harboring a monster mm-hmm. that creates all the energy for them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> So Clay Bennett tries to, quote unquote, find a way to get a new arena or renovation to the arena. The city does not want to publicly fund a third stadium, which is understandable. But Nick Licata, this racist dude, uh, is really anti-Sonics. He and this guy by the name of Chris Van Dyke form a group called the Citizens for More Important Things, which is like this lobbying group to say that they don't want the Sonics to come back. And they do some really shady stuff. They put together a vote on a ballot, I-91, which goes to the public and asks on a vote, yes or no, do you think that publicly funded stadiums need to bring a net positive to the city? Which totally, of course, people are going to say yes to that. Mm. 70% of people vote yes. But instead of what these people voted for, which they think, oh, I'm voting yes because I would like to have the Sonics stay. And yes, I agree that publicly funded things should help the public. He instead twists this so that it sends the message to the government, 70% of people don't want a stadium because I'm telling you that publicly funded stadiums don't bring a net positive to the city. Everyone knows surveys could be used for evil. (sighs) Surveys should only be for good about whether you like cake or pie. (sighs) Or whether you like uh, whether Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday. (laughs) So Clay Bennett proposes a five hundred million dollar stadium which is comically large in renton washington where is renton i don't know where that is so renton washington is south of seattle i'll show you a map that's renton i mean that's pretty far it's like you have to drive all the way to the suburbs yeah it's like a 40 minute drive down but here's the real problem with renton it is traffic nightmare like absolute hell of a traffic time for reference i worked in kent washington which is right here which is not that far south. To get from Seattle to Kent, see how that's a lot farther south than Renton? And I said that's a 40-minute drive. Seattle to Kent is 25 minutes. Okay. It's all because of the traffic. So I work down here in Kent. We'll put a a map on (laughs) Northoops.com. But I work down here in Kent, and my friends who worked at Microsoft were in a basketball league for Microsoft-only people. I used to pretend that I worked at Microsoft so I could play on their team. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the... You've told me a lot of stories about yourself, Michael Uh Schubert. But that might be the most Michael fucking Schubert (laughs) story I've ever heard. I used to drive up and play basketball with them, and I would be over the top pretending to work at Microsoft. I'd be like, yeah, guys, I used Bing Maps to get here. I sent you a message on Skype. Did you see? God, <laughs> like, I, hate, I would just only name Microsoft products. So much. I'd be like, yeah, I was working on my Surface Pro the other day. <laughs> yeah, you know me and Bill Gates, we go way back. <laughs> we are best friends, which is why well, I have this job. Definitely at Microsoft. Let's take a selfie on my Windows phone. I hate it so much. So just to go from Kent up here to Renton when traffic is bad, that would take like an hour. The reason that Clay Benton suggests this is because he knows this. 
all of the stuff that he's doing, proposing a stadium in a garbage part of town that's far away from the city, that's hard to get to, that has awful traffic for $500 million, which is way too much, is so that the city can reject it and then he can say, I tried, and then move the team to Oklahoma City. So we go to the 2007-2008 season. The Sonics draft a very good basketball player by the name of Kevin Durant. I've heard of that boy. Mm -hmm. So he plays his rookie year, but the team wasn't doing so great because Clay Bennett made the team bad on purpose so that it would be more likely for them to move to Oklahoma City. Oh, I didn't know that. So in addition to trading off Ray Allen, their best player at the time, and not re-signing Richard Lewis, their second best player at the time. So he also just started forcing out people from the ownership group and from the coaching staff and beloved Seattle icons, one of which includes assistant coach Detlef Schrempf. I love Detlef Schrempf. Yeah. Indiana legend, great name. Top five all-time NBA just names. That could be a good three-on-three. Also on that list would be Tom Gugliotta. That was good. <laughs> Top one Detlef that I know. Mm-hmm. The only good Detlef that I'm a fan of. The next thing he did was he sold the Seattle Storm, the WNBA team, which was part of the deal in which he bought them. So by selling the Storm, it makes it even more apparent because the Storm can survive in this stadium just because at the time, especially the WNBA is not as popular, but it's not as feasible for an NBA team. So just the writing is very much on the wall for everyone to see. He's writing, lol, we're going to Oklahoma City, right on the wall. Mm-hmm. While this is becoming more and more apparent, other people in the Seattle area become scared. And a new ownership group is put together by local Seattle businessmen, led by Steve Ballmer. Okay. Steve Ballmer makes a last-ditch effort for a $150 million renovation to improve the key arena and make it stable. The unfortunate thing was this came out right as the NBA Relocation Committee was voting on Bennett's relocation proposal to bring the team to Oklahoma City. So they were already out the door. Pretty much. There's another person who's a dick named Frank Chop involved with the Seattle government. Uh, I bought that on the SC.TV store. <laughs> Frank Chop made it so that there was never a vote in the state to vote on this $150 million proposal. Uh, it was just so many bad people involved of all of this happening. I hate the government. While this relocation thing is happening, emails start leaking from the Oklahoma City ownership group. And they all reveal that from day fucking one, like from the plan of the Katrina stuff, from buying the Seattle teams, the whole plan from day one, we're going to get this team in Oklahoma City. There were also emails between David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, and Clay Bennett showing that the two were in cahoots. I hate David Stern so much. He's bad. First of all, what was David Stern's email address? And was it... XXX Green Day is my favorite band. XXX. No, nah, he's too old for that. It would maybe be like cool dude, cool dude with five thousand <laughs> at aim.com. David Stern zero 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 one at geocities.org. No, he was one of those guys who just put David and then the random suggestion of numbers that they give you. David six eight five nine three two seven at aol.com. Let me throw this at you. I am David Stern. Don't hack me at AOL.com. Might be it. Password? Password. <laughs> don't hack. Please don't hack me. <laughs> I like basketball. <laughs> so what David Stern's whole plan is, he doesn't want teams to relocate. And the way that he doesn't want teams to relocate is that he wants cities to fund the stadiums. So what he's doing to Seattle, once they make it very apparent that they're not going to fund most of the cost of a new stadium, is he decides to make an example out of Seattle. Sad part is, this worked. Ever since Seattle has relocated, 
no other city has lost their NBA franchise. Even when you had cities and teams that had ownership groups that didn't care, that wanted to sell the team, that it was better off for them moving. This happened in Sacramento. This happened in Milwaukee. He basically used Seattle as an example to be like, look at what could happen to a city. Seattle, the one of the top five largest cities in America and is rapidly growing at a crazy pace, doesn't have an NBA franchise. But Oklahoma City does. Because they play by the rules. Howard Schultz tries to sue after all these emails come out to say, hey, I didn't know that these guys were trying to screw me over, which he was stupid for not knowing. But he tries to point to saying, hey, I never would have sold the team had I known that they were just trying to move to Oklahoma City. I would like to sue them, blah, blah, blah. So that is going on. Even if this had gone to trial, even if they lost and then appealed the case, the team would have had to stay for one more year legally. Mm-hmm. Then, 2008, the economic depression happens. Oh, yeah, duh. Of Aubrey McClendon's net worth, <laughs> how much do you think he lost in 2008 because of the depression? Percentage-wise or amount? 60%. 90%. Yeah, fuck you, Aubrey! 90% of his net worth, which was $2 billion. So, in a magical dream world, the ownership group would have... 100% had to sell the team. There's no way they could have held onto it because McClendon was the main money person behind it, even though Clay Bennett was the main ideasman behind it. But they would have had to sell the team to someone else. Maybe, I don't know, the Steve Ballmer group that wanted to keep it and do the renovations and keep the team in Seattle. They wouldn't have moved to Oklahoma City. Seattle will sell the team today. There's two things left for me to say. One is sad. One is happy. Okay. The sad thing. The mayor of Seattle, Mayor Nichols, during the sale, granted the history of the Seattle Sonics franchise to Oklahoma City, even if Seattle gets a team. So technically, the Oklahoma City Thunder have claim to all of the Seattle Supersonics' past successes, including their titles, their past stats, and all this stuff like that. Like why? They, there is literally no reason why this man did this. Now, it is very much understood now that if Seattle gets a team, they will probably give it back because there's no reason for Oklahoma Maybe. to hold on to this. Maybe. nobody associates... The Thunder with the Sonics. Right. No one is like, oh, yes, of course. They used to be the Sonics. Everyone's like, oh, those douchebags stole the, <laughs> the Sonics. So unnecessary. Awful. So, so silly. This is like the most bonkers thing of the whole story that makes no sense at all. Let's end this on a little happy note before you get into your questions for me. But the last two games of the 2007-2008 season, the Seattle Sonics won both of them. One was a home game. One was an away game. They won them in very dramatic fashion. So they at least got to give a good send off to the fans. Okay. I have one. I want to address my earlier question, and then I have one more what if. Cool. First question. Why did Clay Bennett want to move to Oklahoma City? Is he just from Oklahoma City? Yes. Okay. He's from Oklahoma City. He owns Chesapeake Energy, which, huh, where do the Oklahoma City Thunder now play? Oh, the Chesapeake Oh, the, the Chesapeake Energy Arena. Oh, look at that. Here's my what if. Let's say Steve Ballmer partially owns Seattle. What happens when the whole Donald Sterling scandal comes out? Not that it didn't blow up, but didn't it make it easier for Adam Silver to negotiate because Steve Ballmer was ready and willing? Yes, but I think that someone else would have stepped up. Sure. Steve Ballmer was chomping at the bit to own a team because that was basically the only other time it became available since the Seattle thing fell apart. I also really wonder, it would have been so amazing if Steve Ballmer was able to save 
them from leaving. Like he took over after the recession. It was like, yo, I got this. And then like brought it back and like, oh, it would have been so incredible. Russ and KD and Green. And would the James Harden thing have happened if they were in Seattle to probably, with a totally different ownership group? They probably would have not because a big thing with why James Harden was traded is because the ownership group didn't want to pay the luxury tax and they knew that they were going yes, to have to. Yes, the luxury tax him. was always the thing with them. Mm-hmm. And that is the ultimate karma move. Like when things started crumbling for the Thunder, it was so much karma of this is what you get for being awful people and stealing a franchise. That's yeah. good. I learned so much. I know. No math. I wish it was a more fun and heartwarming story, but we're in Seattle and it just makes the most timely sense to do it. And this was bound to come up at some point. So it's like it is now, and and hopefully sometime in the very near future, we will be talking about, oh, yay, Seattle got a team again. Uh, but thankfully, the Storm are still around, and they just won the WNBA title, and they've still got Sue Bird, and they've renamed the road outside of Key Arena, Sue Bird Lane or Drive or something, and that makes me very happy. Imagine Google Maps telling you, turn left on Sue Bird Lane. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Mike Schubert and Eric Silver. It is edited and mixed by Eric Silver. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The theme song is by Bettina Kapamanis, art by Alison Wigman, and website by Kelly Beckman. Special thanks to our producer-level patrons, Teal, Jordan Castleman, Misha Stanton, Brianne Wingate, Berger, Skylar Jorgensen, Gladiator Vader, and Adam Hartwick. Mike, you know who can dunk from anywhere on the court regardless of their height? These people. Us. Oh. On social media. Ah. It does. We're, we are both good at dunking. You can find us on the internet at Horse Hoops on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find us on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because we say at every single thing that we're doing in the credits, it's because Clay well, Bennett was racist. And also Horse Hoops, <laughs> Hoops was, was banned. banned. It's pretty much the same. It's the same play. thing. He's probably why it got banned. <laughs> It's Clay Bennett's fault. Clay Bennett took horse hoops and brought it to Oklahoma City. <laughs> and you can also find us on our website, horsehoops.com, for all of the good descriptions and all of the images that we talk about in this podcast. If you want access to amazing bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash horsehoops. We've got stickers. We've got streams. We've got bonus audio. We've got bonus written article type things. It's all there at patreon.com slash horsehoops. Mike, you know who's never going to move to Oklahoma City? Multitude. Multitude. Multitude is a collection of people who are awesome and love talking about awesome things that is horse that is join the party that is potterless that is spirits and that is waystation if you want to check us out on the internet you can go to multitude.productions or find us on twitter at multitude shows and as we end every episode we're going to put our hands in the middle and say something the count of three you look very excited like you have something you want to say so donkey okay cool <laughs> yes one two you're not even counting you be more enthused okay you're gonna count at the same time one two three donkey just not quality films mike kelly loves them mike here's the thing ogres they're like onions Onions. they caramelize and they cry when you cut into (laughs) them the onions cry yeah onions cry onions cry that's why i cry when i cut onions i just get really sad that i'm chopping up (laughs) in the arms of an onion chop 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 (laughs) In the arms of an ogre Fly away from me How did Donkey make love to a giant dragon? <laughs> Mike, I do have one more. I really have to say how you say it. It's really important. Donkey! Got him! Wow, yeah, I definitely fell for that. I did not know that you were going to say Donkey. Torch.